The last time I commented by design on election was four years ago, the Sunday prior to the previous election. Many people ask me in the midst of a toxic political culture and discouragement, they say, what, like, what do we do? How do we handle this? Let me make a brief statement before we get into the preaching of the Word of God this morning. The culture around us has and continually changed. I want to remind you that the Bible has not. Thankfully, in a time where everything shifts and moves, the foundation of biblical clarity remains unmoving. Rather than asking what are the political issues at stake, as the Church of Jesus Christ, we must ask what are the biblical issues that are at stake. Let me remind you that our role, the Church of Jesus Christ, has been given a ministry of reconciliation. Is that ministry to be based and focused and grounded on politics, social justice, reform, or the economy? Let me say two things very clearly, very quickly. Number one, as Christians, we have a responsibility to always, always speak up and uphold righteousness in a society. When opportunity has been given to us, as an opportunity has been given to protect the sanctity of life and to speak up, on behalf of those that have been murdered by millions, when we have been given opportunity to speak up for the sacredness of marriage, then we have to understand what we're called to. We have a civic responsibility, but that is not the work of the gospel. Let me remind you, you can be assured that regardless of what happens on Tuesday or the days following, it has no bearing on the kingdom of God, who is the president of the United States. There is no impact on the kingdom of God based upon the politics of this country or of any country, because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We advance the kingdom of God by speaking the truth of the gospel. First and foremost, mankind cannot and will not ever be reconciled to God by any other means. Let me conclude my statement with this wonderful reminder. Do not, do not be worried. The church of Jesus Christ in this hour has been commissioned to move with grace and with calm based upon God's sovereignty. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says this, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Please, understand that we are to be stewards of the grace that we have been given. By grace, we have an opportunity to speak. I would encourage you to speak on behalf of of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, and the ways of righteousness. With that, 
we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for this moment, this minute that we have the word of God before us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for who you are that we have the privilege to come into your throne room, not on our own merit, but based on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this body of believers that have gathered on your day, set apart for your purpose. I understand that hearts are heavy and there is great concern. Father, I would ask your spirit right now would descend upon us and give to us a reminder of your sovereign authority, your power. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged. Help us, Lord, to be examples. Move with grace and calm. We do pray for our country that we have been blessed with common graces to be a part of. And we do pray for our leaders. We do pray for the system that exists. We entrust it into your care, knowing, Lord, that you, you, you put kings on thrones and you remove kings from thrones. You always have and you always will. We thank you, Lord, that we have such confidence because you ultimately are our king. And we love you. As we open your word before us, I would ask that you would illuminate a fresh and a new needed truth, especially right now, today, this day, this, this minute. I ask for help. I plead. Give clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This is the part of the morning that I'm excited about. Romans chapter 1. Take your Bibles, turn with me. We're in verses 16 and 17. Let me remind you very quickly that Romans is not for the faint-hearted. Okay? This is not just sugary sweet treats for us. Instead, the book of Romans offers substantial milk and meat that is necessary for us to grow up, to be nourished, big and strong, to be healthy spiritually. It includes necessary doctrine and theology, what we believe and why we believe it. By way of review, remember that Paul knows that the gospel is going to go to all nations. He desires to go to Rome, and then he's en route to Spain. And he writes this letter to a church, to the churches in Rome, that there's, there's some fractured relationships as a result of doctrinal distinctives. He, he offers his credentials. He is an apostle. In verses 1 through 7, he expresses his concern that we saw the last time that we're together in verses 8 through 15. And now in verses 16 and 17, we will get, we will get the overall theme of the entire book of Romans. I've heard it described like this. If I may quote one of our young, budding preachers in our own congregation. Daniel Nauta recently reminded us that what? Romans is a mountaintop. He said, see it like that. As you ascend its peak, you are then able to view the entire landscape of the book of Romans. I think that is a really, really good picture of these two verses. 
follow along. They'll be in front of you, Romans chapter 1. I'll read verses 16 and 17 for us this morning. The word of the Lord. For I am not, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, I have little doubt up to this point that the Apostle Paul has, has gotten the attention of his listeners, of the readers. They know that he loves them, they know that he cares for them, and now they know that he has an important word for them. These, these two verses, I want you to view them, are sequential, which means they offer a progressive unfolding and unpacking of reasons as to why the gospel is good to go. In Paul's context, what? It's good to go from Jerusalem to Rome to Spain to the othermost. In our context this morning, the gospel is good to go from your own life out into Lock Haven in Pennsylvania to the othermost parts of the world. I want you to think of it like this. Have you ever heard of the, the Russian word matarushka, the matarushka dolls? You know those, those little Russian dolls that are hand-carved and hand-painted that are decreasing size and one is placed inside of the other so you open one up there's another one open one up there's another one that's really a good picture as far as what these two verses right here are for us some of you are like yeah i don't quite get the whole fifteen hundred dollar wooden handcrafted hand carved hand painted well those of you that i think might get as well for 29.95 think of this think of the star wars return of the jedi luke skywalker extendable lightsaber you know the handle that like you extends out like the one to the next to the next? Same idea, same principle applies. Pick either analogy or metaphor that you want. Either one will work. Why is Paul ready to preach the gospel? Because he says, I am not ashamed. Why is it that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel? Because he states, it is the power of God under salvation. Well, wait a minute. Why is the power of God under salvation? Because the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is what? This is righteous God revealing himself to us. How does God reveal himself to us? That's the incarnation. That's, that's Jesus. If you recall what? Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that through faith, from faith to faith, from beginning to end, what? One is declared righteous. In Greek, the word is diakonosine. I'll get murdered on that pronunciation. It translates righteous, righteousness, or just. The old King James says, what? The, the just shall live by faith. Why is it? that the righteousness of God is revealed in order that the righteous shall live by faith. So now let's pack the little dolls back together again. Let's put the lightsaber back when one lives entirely by faith alone. That's sola fide. Knowing that 
They have been made righteous. They have been declared just by a righteous God who has revealed himself to us. Think manger, cross, tomb gives power that is sufficient for salvation, therefore causing Paul, the Romans, you and I, to live unashamed of the gospel. See how it works inside and it works outside. Pack them in, unpack them. That's why Romans is the mountaintop. I've heard it described as the Magna Carta of Christian faith. It is so important because it impacts how we, what Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter how all of us are to live, not for salvation, but as a result of salvation, from faith to faith. Faith, not works. And there's really four truths Four truths that are both coordinated and communicated in these verses. You have four little blanks on your notes. Write these down. They'll be in front of you. Remember these four. You'll see them all the way through. You'll see, number one, the power of God. Number two, salvation. Number three, revelation. And number four, the righteousness of God. Got to get those. First off, we'll see these four themes. Power of God. Salvation, revelation, righteousness of God. Of such importance, the righteousness of God, what is, is woven, we see it all the way through, even from the ancient of scriptures. There's nothing new here for us. Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. We see this magnificent truth. Psalm chapter 98 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known, has revealed his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all the nations. Isaiah chapter 46. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. Isaiah chapter 51. My righteousness draws near. In verse 5. In verse 6, my righteousness will never be dismayed. In verse 8, my righteousness will be forever. What the author is communicating here is that we need to understand that this righteousness, which proceeds from God, is approved by God, and avails with God, is effective from beginning to the end. So there is a transfer of sorts. His righteousness has been placed upon us. That takes place at the cross. His righteousness, having been placed on us, is what is called justification. One who has been declared right or righteous before a holy God. Now when we think of this, when it comes to the righteousness of God, He is so high and He is so holy and we are so not. In and of ourselves, we are desperately lost. We fall short of God's glory. We are in trouble deserving his wrath. We'll see all the rest of Romans chapter 1 will speak of this. Therefore what? The weight, the significance of these last few words. The righteous shall live by faith are of such monumental importance for the foundation of our biblical doctrine. I want, to, I want to expand upon these a little bit. Two points I want to give to you. The first one is this. Assurance in the gospel brings boldness for the gospel. Paul begins with, I am not 
ashamed. Let me ask you this morning. Give thought to this. What place does your faith in Jesus Christ hold? Food, Penn State football. Family, family's here. We have a tendency to kind of see, well, somewhere along this, in the midst of, is my faith. What, what place does your faith, how, how important is your faith in Jesus? How high a priority is it? What, what influence does your faith in Jesus have in your life? What boldness does it give you? How brave does your faith in Jesus Christ make you? Well, yeah, it's a pretty toxic culture out there, and people don't like Christians. Wait, wait a minute. If you think for a moment that our culture is hostile to the gospel, please think again. Paul is writing what? He is, he is well aware of the fact. He has already been arrested, beaten, and imprisoned more than once. Okay, a Christian in the Roman Empire doesn't get an opportunity to go to the, to the voting booth on Tuesday, okay? There'd be no need. All you would be voting for is this. Do you want to die by the sword? Do you want to die by the lions? Or do you want to die by fire? Your choice. That's how much, that's how much freedom Christians had in that particular culture context. Thus, the importance of what? Instilling in unashamed boldness. Why is this so important for us? Why does Paul begin with this? Because Jesus Christ himself taught in Mark chapter 8, Luke chapter 9, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, if any one of you are ashamed of me and my words, Jesus Christ says himself, then he says what? The Son of Man will be ashamed of you when it comes to my Father's glory. Today we've been reminded what well, we have to be praying for brothers and sisters in Christ that suffer persecution all over the world. We're reminded of that. Make sure you visit Dave and Donna in the back. You get information about how we can continue to pray for, for brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. Last Sunday, from this very pulpit stood one of our own missionaries, one of their, our own missionary families who described that their home had been burned to the ground because of their work for the gospel. We heard this. I heard it. Direct quote. It was a home in the middle of nowhere. It was a home that really didn't have much worldly value at all by way of dollars and cents, but it was our home. And it was comfortable. And when your home is gone, you're forced to rely upon the Lord like never before. Now, when you, when you and I are faced with something that is completely out of our control, which we know what, that's often, there's really very little in our control. When we are forced towards reliance on the Lord, I have nothing else. It does one of two things. Number one, yeah, that's it. I'm out. I got on the wrong bus. Just, just get me off this thing. Or else, what else does it do? It does what we heard as a testimony just last week. We've never had such peace in the midst of the unknown. People understanding 
and, and, and listening and leaning in and seeking to understand what the power of God, salvation, revelation, and righteousness of God can and should bring boldness. Does it? Does it in your life? I am quite certain that when one were to speak today describing the church of Jesus Christ that exists in America, I'm quite certain that as one describes the church in America that there is a sense of timidity, timidness, that is associated, that is attached with it. Just last Sunday morning, our founding pastor, Jeff Lewis, had read an article that was of such impact that he, he forwarded on to the elders. He said, brothers, you, you need to hear this. And it's addressed, in a sense, directly to, to pastors and leaders. And I was struck by this, and I was convicted by this. I'm going to read to you. May I suggest to pastors, in the quietness of your study, you do this. Imagine America collapses. First, anarchy. Then tyranny, from, from right to left. Imagine that religious freedom is gone. What remains for Christians are fines, prison, exile, and martyrdom. And then ask yourself, Pastor, has my preaching been developing real, radical Christians? Christians who can sing on the scaffold. As we did this morning, let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Are you developing Christians who will act like believers in Hebrews chapter 10? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Are you pastor preparing Christians who will face hate and reviling and exclusion for Christ's sake and yet rejoice in that day and leap for joy? For behold, the reward is great in heaven, as it says in Luke chapter 6. Developing Christians who can say, with Paul, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Or, or... Have you neglected these greatest of all realities and repeatedly diverted their attention onto the strategies of politics? Have you inadvertently created the mindset that the greatest issue in life is saving America and its earthly benefits? Or have you shown your people that the greatest issue is exalting Christ with or without America? Have you shown them that the people who do the most good for the greatest number, for the longest time, including America, are people who have the aroma of another world with another king. I was convicted. And I searched my own heart to say, am I preparing the body of Christ? Are we as leaders teaching and preaching truth that brings people to an assurance. When Paul writes, I am not ashamed. I ask you this morning, can you say exactly the same thing? I am not ashamed. 
can he say that? Now, if there is a hesitation, I suggest to you that the problem does not lie in the gospel. If there is no boldness, if there is no bravery, there's a greater problem that exists that is actually solved in the second point that I present to you this morning. Number two, the power of God for salvation brings faith in God to salvation. And I, I know that sounds clunky, okay? It's written by design. The power of God for salvation brings faith in God to salvation. It's clunky, but the order is very, very important. Two, what? Magnificent verses. In two verses, the word faith is used three times. Is that, is that peculiar to you? Or is it purposeful? Three times in two verses? Is, is that coincidental? Or is it intentional? Let, let me be explicitly clear. This is by design. It is purposeful. It is intentional. It's referred to as the ordo salutis. It is the order of salvation. So go all the way back. Since the, since the creation of mankind, we have had the tendency to live by that which we can see. We have the tendency to do everything upon that which we can touch and feel and taste. We are prone to the tangible. We are prone to the visible. Therefore, when God gives a directive, Genesis chapter 2, do not, do not eat the fruit lest you die. What is God saying? God is saying, trust me. God is saying, have faith in me. I'm the one who created life. I'm the one who gives you life. I'm the one who sustains your life. I'm the one who knows what's best for your life. Yeah, but that fruit looks so good. Ever since, ever since, from man, mankind's eye, there has been, what? There has been a battle to exercise. Now understand when, when Adam and Eve fell into sin. That is not like plan B. Like God's up there like, oh no, this did not go as planned. No, no, no. It says from eternity past, from everlasting to everlasting. God knew exactly. He made a covenant with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was very clearly spelled all the way out. Careful attention, perfect plan to the order. That God is going to faithfully, faithfully reveal himself to us through what? Covenants. Covenant with Adam. Covenants with Noah. A covenant with Abraham. A covenant with Moses. A covenant with David. And down through the lineage, the line to what? To uh, Jesus. Friday afternoon I was driving. And, and I was literally writing what? From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to Jesus. And when I got to, I listen to music when I write all the time. And literally, the exact moment that I was typing, I capitalized the word Jesus. When I was typing the word Jesus, 
I was listening to Phil Wickham, and at that exact moment was this line I was listening to, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy is the king who conquered the grave. You see, this is not by accident. This is God's plan for us. The most important message from Romans reminds us that our salvation is and always has been completely in the hands of God. He is like the giver and the sustainer of life. Not just life here on this earth, but life for all eternity. We are instructed. We were standing on the north lawn with like planes flying over and wind blowing. And we talked about the fact that what? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to make this declaration of how the righteous live. I just want you to stop for a moment and pause. I want you to note this. He is not saying, Paul is not writing, this is how the righteous should live. He's making a statement that says, this is how the righteous live. There's a difference. Not how they should live. This is how they live. Help you understand that a little bit. If it's furry, and it climbs trees, and it jumps from branch to branch, and it eats nuts, it's not an elephant. Let me give you a little hint here. Likewise, if you are a Christian, which means I have placed my faith in Christ, then what? You follow Christ. You don't follow the things of this world. If you are a Christian, you have been justified by the work of Christ. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have been declared righteous on the merits of Christ's work. What? Not your work. If you're a Christian, you have been made righteous. Therefore what? Therefore what? The righteous live by faith. As a squirrel eats nuts, the righteous live by faith. You can quote me on that one. Write that one down. Remember that one. As a squirrel eats nuts, the righteous live by faith. On the contrary, look at the inverse. If one does not live by faith, they have not been declared righteous. If one does not live by faith, they've not been declared righteous before a righteous God. Therefore what? They're not free from the wrath of God. If one does not live by faith, although they have been what? God has revealed his own son to them as Savior, then they're blinded. They're still stuck in their sin, and there's no salvation. And when there's no salvation, God is not given any power to be bold and live unashamed of the gospel. Back to the Matarushka dolls, the Babushka dolls. Power of God, salvation, revelation, righteousness of God. What Paul does here is that he lovingly writes and he declares and quantifies the entire statement with this, these, these few words, this one phrase, as it is written. 
one of my favorite lines, as it is, he's quoting the words of Habakkuk. It would take you longer to find the book for me to, to read it. He's quoting Habakkuk chapter, we don't even know much about this prophet Habakkuk. He's a contemporary of Zephaniah and Jeremiah, maybe Daniel, writes a very short book. It's only three chapters long. And in these three chapters, in a sense, he's just pouring out his heart in prayer, and he listens for a response, and God responds back to him. And what is happening is that he's looking out on the people of God, and he is heartbroken. He is heart sick as he has watched their life, as the people of God declined into sinfulness, into sinful living. And he, and he says this, and he writes, I, I will take my stand. Habakkuk says, I, I will take my stand at the watch post, and I'll station myself at the tower. And I'll look out to see what he will say to me. And the Lord answered me. This is what the Lord says. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. I love the anxiousness. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. There it is. Paul again quotes Habakkuk in Galatians chapter 3. Now, it is evident no one is justified before God by the law, by the works. For the righteous shall live by faith. The author again quotes the Old Testament. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know specifically in Hebrews chapter 10. Yet a little while, and the coming will, will, will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There's a boldness here that this faith brings, and that pours right into from Hebrews chapter 10 to Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it goes into this majestic list. By faith, what? Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. All of them. I think there's something here. I think there's something here that we too often are missing. Many people believe that their salvation, having been justified, having been declared righteous before a, a righteous God, is contingent upon your own actions, your works, your behavior. Whereas all the authority, all the authority of the word of God is speaking, and God is saying what? Here, hear this. Salvation is on me. Salvation is upon me. Have faith in me. In me alone. That is most freeing. God saves. I don't, I, I can't. The, the gospel, I refer to it as good news. Actually, the gospel is, is great news. It is the best news. 
in a world that we live in where everything has to be based upon what you can see and touch and feel, we need, I believe the church of Jesus Christ that exists at Big Woods Bible Church needs a renewed confidence in the work of Christ. Where we take the focus off of ourselves and we put it where it belongs. Jesus Christ declared three words on the cross. It is finished. You know what it means? It means paid in full. That's, that's, not, that's not a down payment, okay? That's, that's a full payment. This is not Jesus plus you being a good guy or a good girl, good behavior that paid for our sins before a holy God. That, that is not Jesus plus your baptism. No, it's not Jesus plus church attendance, plus you remember the sacraments. It's not Jesus plus Sunday school. It is what? It was faith alone in Christ alone that paid the debt and forever satisfied the wrath of a holy God. It paid against our sin by taking the payment that we deserve to take. These are, these are not just two verses that we skim by. You have hope. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the importance of we're going to dive into this, and we know this is not, okay, it's not cotton candy. Understand that. So read the book, read the chapter uh, of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and just read it. Read it as a family. Read it. G- gather together. Turn off the silliness and the noise and the flop, and just spend time reading. And it's really easy. The last couple of weeks, I've heard from a lot of people, hey, we read Romans chapter 1. We sat down after dinner. We read it, and then we read it before we went to bed again. Read Romans chapter 1. Now, now we have homework. Because what I want us to do together as a church, I want us to take verse 16 and 17, and we're going to commit those two verses to memory. I actually gave them to you in your little note sheet. They're on the bottom. Okay, they're written right out. They're there for us. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Today, more than ever before, we need to remind it. For the power of God is... For salvation. For everyone who believes. Jew first, also to the Greek. Doesn't matter. Everyone. For in this, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. As the squirrel eats nuts, the righteous shall live by faith. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word that is revealed. We thank you, Lord, for the covenant and the promise. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the message. We thank you for the full weight and truth of a majestic gospel. And God, I would pray that that would resonate to the depths of our heart and soul. And that today, if there's a person here that has not placed their faith, their faith alone, full finished work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and the tomb. That today would be that day. Give us boldness to live unashamed of the gospel. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for declaring us righteous. 
than we are in and of ourselves. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name.